Thank you so much for that. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good? If I ask, how are you doing spiritually today, would the answer be the same? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. We do have ups and downs in the Christian life. I think we do, at least I have in my Christian life. But we have a Savior who is with us every day, right? Amen. No matter what, no matter if we have times where we go up and down, He sticks with us. And that's kind of sort of what we're going to be talking about today. As you turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verses uh, 9 through 20, we're going to be following up with, uh, especially last week, they, I found out in the book of Hebrews, and maybe you've seen this as well, is that there's not always clear breaks <laughs> like there are in some books, a teaching and then a clear break and then another teaching. Sometimes many of them run very similar uh, together, and so that's kind of the situation with this today. But the title of the sermon today is that we have an anchor for our soul. Aren't you thankful that we have an anchor for the soul? Amen. And so at last week we talked about uh, some, very, uh, some very serious verses. We talked about uh, verses 4 through 8, which talks about um, someone falling away from the faith and not being able to restore them to repentance. We talked about what that meant, about how that probably is talking about someone who's not a Christian. Maybe they had made a profession of Christ publicly one time, but it was really not a sincere faith, and it ended up not being a lasting faith. And so it may have left you questioning, though, can I have any kind of assurance of my salvation? And the answer, of course, is yes, we can have assurance of salvation. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The book of Hebrews has always been about Jesus is better, right? Jesus is greater. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the mighty angels. He's better than Moses and the Old Testament law that was given to the people of Israel. He's better than the rest that Joshua offered when he went into the promised land. And Jesus is better than the Levitical priest who had sin of their own they had to deal with and also would have this nasty habit of dying off. And of course, Jesus lives forever to intercede for us. And he's also better than the things of the world. We mentioned some of these things last week. We could fill them in with all different kinds of things, but a lot of things, entertainment. We went to the mall yesterday all kind of things in the mall that could take our affections away from Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves as Christians kind of in this battle, don't we? We live in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world, but we do live in this world which offers attractions to us, which would pull our affections away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And really the book of Hebrews is all about that. It's about not falling away, not going back to something that really does not satisfy and we could say that about the Old Testament uh, people of Israel. The, the, new, the Old Testament law really did not satisfy. Jake made an, an allusion to this in his sermon uh, when he spoke about this. It really did not solve our basic problem. It's not that the law, uh, it's not that the law was somehow not perfect. It was perfect. It was perfect at pointing out our need for a savior. <laughs> So in that sense, it was perfect. Uh, but the whole point of the book of Hebrews, I think, is that Jesus is better. We, there's nothing to go back for, for that is any better than what Jesus, he will 
bring us contentment and that we should not drift away. We mentioned that. We're not supposed to drift away. We're not supposed to neglect our salvation. We're not to harden our hearts. We're not to go back. In fact, you cannot go back. You must go forward with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves. I love that term that it used in second uh, second chapter of, of Hebrews. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it and the idea of that is that for some of us we can be like a ship out at sea without an anchor and the winds toss us to and fro and at first it's very gentle but then we get out to the rocky area and it gets very rough sometimes and that's what it's like if we drift away from uh, Jesus Christ or we're tempted to go back Ships that are prone to drift need an anchor, right? They need an anchor. That's the whole problem. And we need an anchor too. We didn't need an anchor. We need something that is, will ground us. And uh, we need something that will keep us focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And our scripture today says that we have that. Verse 19, it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into their inner place behind the curtain. This is what we need, and this is what Jesus himself provides. An anchor is just a heavy object attached to a rope or chain used to moor a vessel to the sea bottom, typically one having a metal shank with a ring at one end for the rope and a pair of curved and or barbed flukes at the other end. And the heavier, the better, right? The heavier the anchor, the better, although I found out some anchors are not so heavy. They rely more on the design, but Jesus is an anchor for us, and through him we can have assurance of our salvation. And so let's get into, the, I haven't even read the scripture yet, but let's read the scripture and see where we're going here today. So you stand alongside with me as we read verses 9 through 20 of chapter 6. And he's just finished up saying that uh, people will fall away and that there will be no opportunity for them to repent. He gives a very dire warning, in fact, to those who would uh, not choose to follow Jesus Christ all the way. And so he says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you had shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to read these verses and in, in just reading them uh, for the first time uh, together like this as a congregation. I know there's many, many questions come up about how it's worded and, and what it says. And so we hope to go through this period of time and explain some of those things. But we pray also that you would give us ears to hear the message that you want us to hear. Help us to determine the meaning that the author intended for us and help us to make the application in our own lives that will help us be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to be obedient to your word, not just those who listen to the word, but we want to be obedient to it. And so give us right now a heart of obedience that is willing to listen and take heed to these words that we have here today. Pray that you'd be with me as I speak to give my voice clarity and that at the end of this we would have a clear teaching that we could grab, grab a hold of and be obedient to. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if you've just read that, maybe you haven't read that for a while, there's really a lot in here, right? You know, uh, I found that true with the book of Hebrews that we could probably spend two or three sermons on each sermon that I've actually done. but. Obviously, we're not going to take the time to do that. We're going at a little bit faster pace. So you may have some work to do. You know, you, after we go through this sermon today, you may want to go back this, this evening sometime and open up your Bible and look at these verses again and, and kind of remember what I said and, and affirm in your own mind that this is true. Uh, this is a great way. This is what God calls meditation on his word. <laughs> And it really is essential for us to get a grasp of the Word of God to meditate on it. So this is the teaching. Later on is the meditation. And when it all comes together, I think we will have a good idea of what God's Word means and what it means for us as well. Verse 9 there, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, is definitely a transition ver verse. Okay, prior to this, he's been talking about those who are tempted to fall away and who cannot be restored to repentance. And now he's not talking just to that general audience, but he's talking to some, a very specific audience now. Can you see that in the verse? He's talking about to his beloved. He's talking to those who are actually are believers, those who have better things, things that belong to salvation. So I think that's important for us to recognize that we knew we know that jesus is better but there are better things that accompany that salvation as well and it, those things belong to those who have an earnest faith in him he is our anchor and it speaks about him as being our anchor in verses 19 through 20 so let's kind of jump down there for a little bit because i want to try to explain this a little bit more but if we look at verses 19, it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. 
When he says we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, right? He's talking about that. And he's talking about these promises that God has made to us. And so we know it's Jesus because this hope is that hope which enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So what in the world is he talking about? This is where a little bit of knowledge of the temple and, this, and the tabernacle comes in handy. So we've been doing that on Wednesday night. We've actually had a, a scale model of the tabernacle that we put together, but there's really three areas of the tabernacle. There was the outer area where the sacrifices were taken and actually the sacrifices were killed there, or if it was a grain offering, they were given there. But then inside of this tabernacle outer area, there was a structure, a building composed of two compartments. And the first place was called the holy place. And in the holy place, there were three items, right? There was the lampstand on the left. There was the showbread, which is on the right. And right ahead before a curtain, there was the altar of incense. So that was the holy place. This is a place where priests would normally enter into and, and perform sacrifices and keep the oil lamp filled and keep the bread fresh and put incense onto the altar. But then, as I said, there was this curtain and it hid what was called the inter, inner part of the tabernacle, which was the Holy of Holies. And inside that Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, there was, help me remember, the Ten Commandments, the manna and the rod which had budded that belonged to Aaron. Okay, so these things were kept in there. The, the, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, only one priest ever went in there and he only did that once a year. And so he took the sacrifice for the people, the blood sacrifice for the whole people of Israel into that Holy of Holies and spread it upon um, the Ark of the Covenant. And so what he's talking about here, to get back to this, Jesus, figuratively speaking, or at least maybe in heaven, entered behind this curtain and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, the priest who had to go in every year, that, that sacrifice had to be offered over and over again, year after year after year, because we still sin, right? <laughs> so it had to be offered over and over again. Jesus entered one time by offering a sacrifice of himself into the Holy of Holies and it lasted forever. It did not have to be repeated. And that's what these people are about to learn. They're about to learn that Jesus offered a sacrifice that does not have to be repeated. I believe one of the reasons they wanted to go back to the Old Testament way of doing things is that they recognized they had sinned since the last sacrifice of atonement they felt like we've got to offer another sacrifice. We need to go back to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, no, no, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for all time. And so that is why Jesus is our anchor. He died for our sins. He lives forever. He's been raised from the dead. We are 
attached to him if we are believers in Christ, right? We are attached to him. And I'm using the illustration of hands, but the best is an anchor, right? He is an anchor for us. We are attached to him. And so, yes, we can have lasting and full assurance if our faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone. And so we have scriptures that tell us about this. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. I think this is probably the first verse that someone had me memorize because it's about assurance of salvation. And it says, this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful promise that we can know we have eternal life? Now, some people, if you tell them, well, I know that I have eternal life, they're going to look at you and think, well, you think pretty highly of yourself. And that's wrong thinking, right? Because that's thinking as though we had something to do with it or we have something to do with keeping it. No, this is a gift that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, he did this for us. He purchased our souls by shedding his blood for our souls that we might have eternal life. That's good news, folks. That's the news that we want to tell everybody, that they can have eternal life. You might ask, well, do you believe that we should share the gospel with everyone? Absolutely, we should share the gospel with everyone. You see, we have, a, we have a tendency, and I'm getting off script here a little bit, but we have this tendency to think that we can know who's going to receive Christ. We look at a person, maybe they show some interest in spiritual things in church, and we think, well, they kind of look like they might be interested. I'll go share the gospel with them. Meanwhile, there's this person over here, and for some reason they look a little bit different, and we think, well, I don't think they would ever receive Christ. And so we neglect telling them about Christ. But it doesn't depend upon us. It depends upon the Spirit, right? It depends upon His sovereign choice of who is going to be saved. And He will carry that out to the end. And we will see that in a few minutes. Salvation is of God. It's of the Lord. It's not of us. And so getting back to my question, I want to answer this because I want you to know we can share the gospel with anyone because God can save anyone. If he can save Paul on the road to Damascus, someone who's breathing threats against Christians and wanting to do them harm, and he can cause a great light to come upon him and illuminate and change his mind, then he can certainly change anyone else's mind. But getting back to this, we can have a lasting and full assurance. In fact, verse 11 says exactly that. It says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He wants us to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And so we see several things in there. We must have an earnestness to have this full assurance of hope until the end. We must persevere, persevere in this earnestness. And so first of all, if you're taking notes, you might just write this down, that 
Assurance is given to those who have an earnest faith. An earnest faith. What do you mean by earnest faith? It means a sin sincere faith, a trusting, a dependence, a total abandon of any good works on our part contributing to our salvation and depending solely upon what Christ did upon the cross. It's an earnest faith. It's a sincere faith. James would say it's a living faith, right? Not a dead faith. It's a living faith because the results of that faith are works. Now, works don't save us, but they are evidence of our faith. A sincere faith results in works for the sakes of Jesus' name. So you can see that right in the scripture. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you do. That's, that's just such an interesting verse. And so many times we just read over some of the most important parts. We probably get the part about God is not unjust, but do we get the part about the works and the love being done for his namesake? <laughs> That's why we do good works as Christians, right? We don't do it to gain salvation, but we do it to glorify the one who has saved us by his free grace. Amen. Amen? That's why we do good works. We do it out of a thankfulness, out of a gratitude for what he has done for us. And so this sincere faith, this true faith, this persevering faith, this earnest faith, is one that results in works for the sake of Jesus' name. And, of course, we should not be sluggish in this. You ever felt sluggish? <laughs> I have felt sluggish. There are times during this whole COVID mess that I have felt sluggish. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember how many services we didn't hit, have here. It wasn't a whole lot, four or five, something like that. But I'm sure some of you felt that when we decided to come back that it's not the easiest anymore to get up and go back to church. That's probably because we take our focus off of Jesus and we're we've had our focus on the situation. But he tells the people here, he says, have this earnest faith so that you will not be sluggish, but rather you should be imitators of those who through pay, faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, there are good examples for us to follow. Follow. Paul was a good example for us to follow. In fact, he makes this claim in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, you therefore be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so an earnest person will look toward those people who are like that as an example for them to follow. An earnest faith is one that is sincere. It's not a faith just made by logic. Although I, I love logic, I love reasoning. You know, I think as Christians, we are to use our reasoning. But receiving Christ is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just the knowledge of the facts. We've talked about this before. It's nothing new for you guys, but it may be something that you'll end up sharing with someone else. It's true. Uh, it's not a head knowledge. It's a, it's a heart knowledge. 
It's a decision of the will informed by our senses and by our knowledge. And it's an act of the will, volition, in the heart. And so it must come from the heart. It must be this earnest faith. And that's where our assurance of salvation really shows that it is evident, that it is true. But ultimately, secondly, you, our assurance is based on the character and the purpose of God. It's based upon the character and the purpose of God. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans 8 real quick. Verses 28 to 30. I think we read this last week as well, but it's such a pivotal verse showing God's sovereignty over salvation. And that he has a plan for your salvation. Verse 28 we quote all the time, but we'll read 29 and 30 as well. Paul here, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All those who love God, all things work together for good doesn't say all things work together for good for everyone. It's those who love God. That's us. That's who, us who have been called to him, who believe in him. All those, and we know that for, all, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those, for, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so what I want you to see in there is just a chain of events of the plan of a sovereign God to bring people to Christ and this is ultimately why we can have salvation salvation is of the Lord he intends to save people and he sets out to save people he sent his son to save people to save his flock and he will save his flock he will save them and he will keep them to the end and so God demonstrates his faithfulness to his promises and this is a promise by giving us the example of Abraham in verses oh, 13 to 15 or so. Abraham received a promise from God that he was to be one who would be great and that he would, a great nation would come from him and that he would be blessing to all of the world and to all nations. And God kept that faithful promise to him. And so we see Abraham was a man who was old of age and did not have a, an heir. And uh, God said, I will provide you an heir. Abram and Sarah went their own way for a little bit, but eventually Isaac was born. And Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise and the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that would end up in millions of people literally leaving from Egypt. Remember that? That's a couple of generations further on down. But God truly was uh, faithful to, to 
Abraham in fulfilling his promises. And the point is that God is a faithful God who keeps his promise. And if he has made a promise to save his people, then he will fulfill that. So it even says that he made a promise, that he has a purpose, and that he made an oath. Look at a little closer at verse 17 of chapter 6. It says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. This Slow down and look at that a little closer. He wanted to show to the heirs of the promise, the heirs, the descendants of the line of Abraham, that would be us, eventually us. He wanted to show us the unchangeable character of his purpose and he guaranteed it with an oath. God has a purpose. His purpose is to save a people to be his own possession and he is going to bring it about. He made an oath signifying that he would bring it about. He is a God who never lies, and so he will bring that about. And so our great anchor is Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment, he is the fulfillment of the promise. And so be encouraged, it says that in verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, have become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We are to be encouraged because we are to hold fast to the hope, and the hope is Jesus Christ. Makes sense? I hope that makes sense. Amen. And so what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? Well, first of all, if we go back to the first, it says that each one of us must have this earnest faith. So I'm just thinking about this group right here. Each one of us must have this earnest faith faith uh, and so we just examine ourselves and we do this every Sunday but we examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith am I doing the works of love am I serving the church the way that an earnest faith is supposed to be serving the church so we examine ourselves we realize that we have an anchor that we do have assurance of salvation. It's not in our own works. It's not in our ability to hold on, but it's Jesus being the anchor for our soul. It's Jesus who has shown us the way, Jesus who is faithful to his promises, and Jesus who has given this oath, and he will never let loose of us. I know when we think about becoming a Christian, we think about our commitment to Christ but according to this and other scriptures, at that same time, God makes a commitment to us. And so we have that anchor because we have a God who has made a commitment to us. Let's praise him for that. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for 
this section of scripture and um, just pray that we would be able to take away from here that despite the fact that the book of Hebrews gives strong warnings to not fall away, those warnings are given to us believers that we might be obedient to those warnings and not head that direction. And we thank you that when we are tempted to give up or to go back, that we have an anchor in the person of Jesus Christ who is holding us and keeping us from falling away. Thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given us, this wonderful plan of salvation that provides everything that we need to be saved. You have called us. You have predestined us. You have justified us through faith in Christ alone. You will glorify us. It's all your plan. And if there's anything that we should do today, it should be surrender everything that we have to you and fill this sanctuary with words of praise and thanks. And I pray that we might do this as we close with this song, that we would be examining our lives, giving them over to you afresh, and that we would be worshiping you as the God and Savior that you are. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.